Lone Wolf and Ringarama, my guest today, is big in the Columbus music scene. He's been in many bands, including Vandale, who I shot a video for when I was a little kid. This is me and Joe here. And he's a studio. You were iconic in that video, by the way. Yeah, he's a studio, and he does a lot of uh, Instagram piano recordings, which are very good. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hello. Thank you. It's it's my true honor to be on the only Ringo Starr podcast. Oh. And that's, I'm, I've been a Ringo Starr fan since I found out who the Beatles were when I was, I think I was 24 years old. So I'd already been in bands for like a decade and I'd already written so much music and I'd already been a fan of a couple other bands and all this but I didn't know about the Beatles. And then my sister gave me Abbey Road for Christmas, uh, a vinyl that she found at like an Ohio thrift or something. And she's like, you like music, right? You listen to records. And I go, yeah. And she goes, here, do you have this one? And I'm like, oh no, but I'd seen it before. And I put it on on Christmas day when I was like I 23 or 24. And I heard come together and I heard that drum lead in and it changed my life. And uh, since I heard the Beatles, I've loved the Beatles. But since I've heard the Beatles, I've known that Ringo Starr was so good and so cool. And I've had so many, uh, I've had such strong feelings about Ringo for so long. And then I find out that I have this close connection to the person that runs the only Ringo Starr podcast out there. So this is a dream for me, is my long-winded point. I've been waiting 10 years for somebody to ask me to do this. Yeah, Ringo's always <laughs> been the back beat of the Beatles, you know. It would not He's the front beat of the Beatles. If you hear like the uh, love video of Pete Best, it just sounds horrible. Well, he's um I mean he's a uh, he's the Beatles. Ringo's the the beat. They spell the band name B E A T L E S, which is a stupid play on words. And he is the beat like he he provides half of that band they're just the ols <laughs> yeah so this is a good time to segue it's the topic where we're talking about how ringo is the best beal in joe's opinion and kind of make a case for that i will um let me fill this coffee real quick all right I love this Zoom text-to-speech they added. It's the best. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so, um, yeah, what, ask me anything. AMA, Ringo Starr. Well, do you have any uh, Ringo albums that mean a lot to you or Ringo songs? Um, that's a loaded question. Um, I would say that as far as Ringo's solo albums, I really gravitate toward Ringo's self-titled because I think it's, yeah, I think it's a Klaus Bormann album artwork, which is so cool because Klaus Bormann did the uh, Revolver cover and he's the bassist on pretty much the whole album, the Ringo album, but also at the same time, he was playing bass on Plastic Ono Band. At the same time, he was playing bass, he did all the George stuff. He was all over like All Things Must Pass. 
So basically on everybody but Paul's records, you've got Klaus Bormann going and plugging in these great bass parts on all the other Beatles stuff. And he does the album artwork for Ringo's album. And it's such a beautiful, iconic cover. And he does the whole booklet. You have a big booklet with this album. Oh, yeah. And it's all, yeah, I have the the vinyl version of it. It's beautiful. It's a work of art. too, but it's a little big, so I brought along my CD. But then you've got, um, so what really, oh, good thinking. See, that's why you're the host. But um, then you've got um, the first track on it, which is I'm the Greatest, written by John Lennon. That's a Beatles reading track. What's that? That's a Beatles reading track. You've got John, George, Ringo, and Klaus Foreman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a it's a Beatles stand track. The only one they don't have is Paul, and it's the closest they ever got to reuniting was that one moment. And um I mean if you count free as a bird in real love, which I I count because I grew up in the anthology days. Well I count, but I'm talking about while they're alive. Like a true reunion. Not a post-mortem reunion. (laughs) But um so it's a part of the Beatles discography because I think that stuff is great. But I think um, I think that them during their lifetime, the closest them ever getting together is a, a Ringo track is pretty fun. They're all and, awesome. uh, the track is just wild because it's this song that is the most uh, John Lennon. I forget his exact quote, but I've read um, things about him speaking about writing this song. And he said, like, if I sang this song, everybody would think I was the most self-absorbed, horrible, you know, person in the world. He's like, but when Ringo sings it, nobody seems to get that offended. So I like the idea that John didn't even like particularly write it for Ringo. He worked on this material and then he thought about himself saying, I'm the greatest. And everybody would have just spit at him and gone like, you know, how self-absorbed. But when Ringo says it, there's this lightness to it because nobody takes Ringo seriously. and that's why they they make him sing girls. And that's why John Lennon wrote, um, which he kills girls, by the way, or boys, not girls. But, um, but like every time he sings boys, it's just people don't even think about it. But I bet if it was John Lennon and Paul McCartney and all of them fronting the song Boys back when it dropped in the 60s, when that would have been like a little more of a controversial move, I don't think that, I think it would have been a different conversation, but they let Ringo sing it and he's like, he's the silly one. He's the, he's the lightness to all of it. Yeah. So I think um, that's how everybody sees it because they don't realize that that, uh, I think it's, it's Ringo's attitude that kept them as boyish as they always were, if that makes sense. Like, uh, you know, the people that the Beatles fell in love with in the early 60s, the the mop tops where they were all boyish. And then you hit the mid 60s and you get to, they all start like John Sowers on it. John is like, he doesn't even show up to Sgt. Pepper releases. He's sitting at his house. I mean, as tales tell it, just like high laying on his couch. And they have to come up to his house and basically yeah, drag like him in the car. To... Songs on Sgt. Pepper. It's really a Paul album. Yeah, well, it's like a largely a Paul album, but they're, you know, they're all, but everything is after that point. John is, starting at Sgt. Pepper, John is never on an, uh, every song of a Beatles album again. 
I did the math the other day. Yeah. There's always yeah. songs that he's not on. So that, that just proves they were no longer four for one and one for four anymore. They had hit a point in their bandship uh, around Revolver and Rubber Soul where they, it was, when they started the Beatles, they were a group. And they had different songs and stuff, but they were a, they were a functioning unit. There was four of them, like how many Beatles does it take to screw in a light bulb? Four. <laughs> you know, a Ringo Starr joke from Anthology, but I think it's true. It took four of them to do their sound. It took four of them to create that moment that took over the world. But I think once you hit Rubber Soul, they all found themselves differently as songwriters. And George started to become George in this very far out way. And John became John in this even more far out way. And Paul became Paul in a million different ways. And so Paul's writing, you know, the day wakes, night aches. And then John's over here writing rain or whatever. And George is over here like playing like drone songs with just one note the whole time. So my, uh, to get to, I guess, to your original, what we're gonna talk about today of Ringo being the best Beatle, my, the reason I say that is because I think what it is to be a Beatle is to play for the team and make it sound like the Beatles and give it that punch. And I think they all did that from the early 60s till about 1964 or five. And then I think the other three stopped doing it and they were playing for themselves because they all just had different sounds. But the reason that it all jived as a band and the reason they sounded like the Beatles until the end of their career is because no matter whose track it is, Ringo would play with the same velocity on everybody's songs. You always have that constant backbeat. Yeah, well, like I said, he's the front beat. He's not even a backbeat. He's and I don't mean he's leaning forward like a drummer. I mean, like, if you take the drums out of some of those George tracks, or if you take the drums out of some of those John songs, you lose more than just the drums. It's like Ringo is a vibe. Ringo plays the drums like he's, his arms are just connected to the drums. He plays drums like nobody else because he is playing technically on the backbeat. He's like leaning back into it. But um, even more than that, he plays with an intelligence of somebody that respects the power of the music he's playing. He doesn't play like John Bonham and he doesn't play like these other guys there or like Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix experience. You know, these are great drummers, but they're playing like they're octopi, you know, they're playing all over the place because they can and because they're skilled and because they're talented. And Ringo's very skilled. He does a lot of very hard things on some of those songs. But more often than not, I think Ringo's concerned with playing for the song. And I think he had respect for the material that was written. And he tried to just stay out of the way, not in a way where you don't notice him, but in a way where people don't even get how important his drums are because he tried to write things that complement the song so well that his drum parts truly feel like an extension of that material every time. Like, I think when you hear Ringo play drums on a Beatles song, it feels like it is connected to the, to the written material from Paul, John, and George. It feels like his drums were right there with it, like they were twins separated at birth, you know? And I think it's that attention to the power of the material he's playing on that made him, 
he's the one that made them sound like the Beatles. He's the one that made them sound like the band that they are. Yeah. Also on uh, Revolver, you know, she said, she said the last song we recorded, Paul walked out on that session. So that is actually like the Omnigrated. Damn, he did? I yeah, didn't know that. Try so who plays on it? Uh, I think I think George does the bass. No. I'll look up the credit right now. Can we confirm this? Oh. That's so sick. Actually, give me a second. <laughs> Pull out this guy. Yeah, hit me with it. 66. It's going to be the end of 66. Well, not like uh, Pepper, but like, let me see. This is mixing. Yeah, I think that was that was just John, George, and Ringo on that track. Woo! That's sick. Why? Uh, Paul walked out. He, he didn't want to try out state at the time. They were all on it, and Paul didn't want to. Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. That's amazing. I love that drum track, though. She Said, She Said has maybe the craziest Ringo drums. It's like either that or Rain. Oh, Rain is a complete drum groove. Yeah. Well, Rain. I think Ringo said that's his favorite that's his favorite work on a Beatles song. He said on Rain, he really thought that he he got it done. I Which is cool. Ride also, that's a good drum roll. Which one? Ticket to Ride. Oh, yeah. I mean, without the drums, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and that tambourine at the end. I think that's when it really starts to expand out, like the uh, the help era. It's when it really starts, and then rubber sole, and then revolver, and then you get the pepper. Well, another cool thing about Ringo, and I don't know if this is Ringo or George Martin kind of producing the track as they go and saying maybe do this on this song, but um, I think that when they hit rubber sole, uh, his his like. Um, the thing that he chose to play on the song got really far out. Yeah. Like where he's, you know, a lot of tracks, he's not even playing a traditional drum kit. He's just like, it's like clapping and tambourine or like, you know, just like a tom drum and like a, a weird percussive track. Like on, on Rubber Soul and on some of Revolver, I feel like they do a lot of really far out it's bigger than just a drum kit. It's like they wanted to get a little more far out. And then by the time they get to Sgt. Pepper, the whole thing was far out. But I like them and then when they're in the Rubber Soul era and they're like touching on these new like sound experiments or something. Yeah, just amazing pop, in my opinion. It's just the way they get it. It's just, it's just great. But it's all due to Ringo with that, uh, any he, he like changes the song like if, it's, if like John or George or Paul brought in a song and then Ringo would create a drum beat that would change the song. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, he like he. I don't think he. Um, I think he he changed the song by giving it what it needed. Like I never think he plays heavy-handed. I think he just gives it the perfect lift that it needed. You know, it's like total taste. He's just the most tasteful drummer.
Yeah, most tasteful. Um, so what's your favorite Ringo album? Not to throw off the interview, but I want to oh. know. Time Takes Time, 1992. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you know, very big album. Also the Ringo album, 73. And mm -hmm. also Vertical Man, 1998. I got a lot of favorites. Yeah, it's hard not to have a lot of favorites. I like uh, Ringo Rama from 2003. That's a really Oh, Ringo Rama is awesome. I love um, another one that's good is Stop and Smell the Roses. Oh, I love Stop and Smell the Roses. I've got a mm -hmm. single episode coming up on that soon. It's going to be fun. Oh, my God. Yeah. With Drumming is My Madness. Oh, that's With Harry great. Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> so. Harry Nielsen only does a lot on that album. There's also yeah. Back Off Boogaloo Volume 2. Hmm. Harry's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, him and Ringo were old cronies, right? Yeah, during those like uh, during the like seventies period, he's on time takes time actually. He's buried because his voice was kind of given out at that period, but he is on it. So, have you seen Ringo live? I haven't seen Ringo live because the last time he came over here, I was not a Ringo fan at all. But next time he comes over here, I'm definitely gonna see him. Oh my god! He plays no yeah. solo deep cuts though. Like, I mean, he plays, he plays what? He plays no deep cuts. It's not like Paul where I'll pull out Temporary Secretary or Hope of Deliverance. Well, it's, yeah, but it's also because he does play some deep cuts, I guess. I don't know. Um, like, what would you want him to play? Just like something really out of the I world. want him to do, uh, let me see, Without Understanding. That's got an opera singer on it. And like Brian Wilson doing like the triple track harmonies. That would yeah, be- it might crazy, be hard to get him to do that one. Crazy record live. Yeah, man. Maybe um, stop and smell the roses, the final track. That's good because he could just go on for like five minutes. I bet that would would have been good when Todd Runger was in the band. Yeah, Todd was sick in his band. Um, well, the All Star shows are wild. I'm sure you you know all about them, but yeah, it's basically a greatest hit CD. It's like one of those uh, CDs you'd order on the TV. It's like that, but it's it's a revolving and it's all live. Yeah. Well, it's like, and Ringo's not even on stage some of the time, but he's on stage a lot of the time. But he's there, like, at the beginning of the show. Like, usually the band will come out. I've seen him twice. One. And um, both times at the Phrase Pavilion, which is about an hour out of Columbus. But um, it's been essentially the same show with a different band. So you're right about he doesn't play with the material much. Do you, uh, what like, is it? Do you have like a rough estimation when you saw him? Um, both times were in the last 10 years. Um, I doubt you would have seen him on the 2010 tour, but that was kind of a crazy. His 2000s band, he was getting Edgar Winter on. They were doing like 10 minute jams on Frankenstein. He had Sheila E doing like 20 minute encores. No, I didn't see that. I saw him with Kevin Band had Jack Bruce from Cream and Peter Frampton doing like a ten minute Sunshine of Your Love. Oh shit, that's wild. There have been some um, crazy moments of the All Star Band. No, you've seen I didn't. That modern band, the twenty twelve to present. He's a yeah, band. He switched out Todd Rundgren and Richard Page. I think that's it. Yeah, well, I saw him with Todd Rundgren um, the first time. And Todd was crazy. 
but actually i was so i was there with um a couple of my friends i was there with three friends and uh we were we had seats and we weren't in the front row but we were like we were in the very last row of the seated area and everything behind us was kind of like a lawn so we had seats but we weren't blocking anybody so ringo's out there and he starts playing ringo material you know and to me that's the you've climbed to the top of Mount Everest. You're watching a beetle play their material. So I like, and everybody around me is sitting because they're a bunch of old boomers and they only came to see Yellow Submarine, you know? And they don't give a shit about Ringo. They just give a shit about the couple Beatles songs that they paid their good money to sit and stand for that. So he's playing like, I don't even remember what, but I think it was don't like actually like probably. a- It's open the show. It, what? He probably he does it. Don't come easy every concert. That's probably his, that's his opener. Mm, that's sick. Um, yeah, I don't even remember what it was, but nobody was standing, and I was just like, I can't. I got. I'm possessed by the Beatles, you know. So I stand up and I'm just like grooving really hard, and I'm giving him peace signs, and then they start playing. Uh, what's the White Album Jam? Don't uh, pass me by. Don't pass me by. I love that song. So. He goes over to the piano and plays the piano intro. Notes. Yeah, and so nobody is standing around me. And we're just like, me and my friends are standing. And then I just start giving them like crazy. We're like grooving and we're in a sea of people that are not grooving. And then Ringo looks right at me as he's singing Don't Pass Me By and points at me and holds up a peace sign. So I had a, a White Album moment with Ringo Starr the first time I saw him where we gave each other peace signs during Don't Pass Me By. And um, and that really, you know, I sit with that every night. <laughs> there was a dude that walked up to me oh, after it happened. Uh, there's two times he's played at the Frey Pavilion in the past two years. In the past two? In the past few years, like the past- Oh yeah, I- I was at both of them. He was at, he played it in 2008, which was a crazy set list. He was doing Choose Love and Liverpool 8, which are real deep cuts. Mm. And then he was all, he was doing Never Without You. He was doing some good stuff. And then 2018, he was doing a lot more Beatles stuff. But I think he was doing Anthem, which is a pretty deep cut. Yep. Hold on one second. I got to check a little thing on my back porch. Can you pause me one pause time? Me. Okay. I heard a little pack. I had to go grab it. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, we were talking about the all-star band. Yeah, he's but, doing um, out. That's actually the tour he did Frankenstein. That Edgar Warner was doing a Frankenstein jam. Shit. Oh, well, either way. So there's this. Pick up the pieces, too. That was pretty good. So um, at that show, at the first time I saw him, we had been jamming out. And other than my peace signs, acknowledgements from Ringo, people still weren't rocking out. We were just all by ourselves. And how they do the, um, how they do the all-star shows is it'll be like one member of his band will play three or four songs, like where they're the one fronting it. So I've heard like the Dreamweaver, I forget who sings it, but yeah, times right. I've seen him. Yeah. So I've heard Dreamweaver, which is a great track. And then, you know, you'll just hear all these, it's like turning on classic rock radio and you just hear, like I've heard Africa twice <laughs> and that kind of stuff. 
Ah, he played but it right before. Times. I think you've seen the last two. Yeah, What's that? So he played it three times. So I think you've seen the 2014 and 2018. There we go. That's probably he wasn't doing. Uh, yeah, because he does. It don't pass you by on both of those, and he does anthem. Yeah, I love that. Not, I remember when he did anthem. Now he was rocking out. No one else was. I think it's, that's it's what. a very strange track, and it's it's basically a super deep cut now because it's from an album nobody bought. I think only 800 copies of that album were sold in Europe. Damn, what a shame. Yeah, and he's but, um, some good stuff. Like uh, his last album, What's My Name? That was a really good album. He does a lot of great shit. He's Ringo Starr, baby. <laughs> but um, yeah, at that show, right before Todd Rundgren started his set, like started his little collection of songs, he said, this one goes out to the two couples on uh, Ecstasy. And he was referencing to me and my three friends because we were all dancing. And so I live with this cool information in my brain that Ringo Starr heard Todd Rundgren say that I was on drugs when I wasn't. <laughs> That's my whole story. I don't have anywhere to go from there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool you see it. It's cool you saw him. That's cool stuff. So, yeah, like, uh, I'm thinking of other things. Yeah. I mean, uh. See, I, this was from one of the shows. I forget I which one. More Love. That's 2017. That was a good, that was a good record he did. Not really that. Yeah. Good. You got the dates on the back. Yeah, I remember so I saw a video of that show. Like, I think it might have been. Cause, and my mom was like, oh, wish we could have been there. Did she go? No, she didn't go. Oh. My yeah. mom's been to a lot of, a couple concerts about me. I don't know. I was somehow in the wrong mindset about Tom Petty in 2016 because she got tickets to the farewell tour. The one yeah. before, right before he died, and somehow I didn't go. That was before I learned about the traveling Wilburys and all that cool stuff. Yeah, I feel very fortunate that I got into Tom Petty. I was hard. I was never that into him. I always thought he was like, oh, cool, good songs. But I got very into Tom Petty like the year of that farewell tour. So I ended up like scoring tickets. My friend got an extra one and I went with him and I, I was just like in the heat of being obsessed with Tom Petty when I saw it. And then he passed away right after. And I feel so fortunate that I got to sneak in there and see that because, you know, once these guys are gone, it's just uh, MP3s and old records. Maybe Flack <laughs> if you're a good collector. What's that? Flack audio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> keep up with that. Dude, I don't even know what the state of music is. I don't even get it. Yeah. I don't even know what you're Apple's supposed to do anymore. 5.1. I don't even know what that is. They're trying to go surround sound. My phone's too old for surround sound, so I'm going to have to get a new one just that way I can listen to McCartney Freeing surround sound or something. Nah, just listen in mono. That's the best one anyway. Mono. Oh, Ringo's got some good stuff in mono, like some promo mixes. That's oh, really? When you're real deep into the Ringo collecting when you're looking for promo mono mixes. 
Oh my God, I would start with those. Which ones does he have in mono? He's got Photograph and a promo mono, Your 16, Oh My My, Ooh Wee, Ooh, Lipstick Traces, Hard on My Sleeve, all promo mono stuff. Dude, Photograph is probably the song of Ringo's career, I think. I think Photograph is the one that is just really, really, really special. And I know it's a George track, obviously, but that makes it- just an amazing song. It's an amazing song that would have been, I think if George would have made it a song, it would have been, you know, twice as famous. It was a uh, co-write though, Ringo and George did it together. Yeah, but I mean, like if it would have, if it would have landed on the, like if they would have co-written it, but it would have been a George song where he was singing it, I think it would be even more famous than it is because I think more people would have, would listen to it. Like, I think it would be up there on the George yeah. songs because it's it's not just like good for he Ringo. He every concert with the All-Stars. I think he's done that every, every concert. Yeah, of course he has, because it's like the best song of all time. <laughs> what I've been wanting him to do though, I want him to go out with the Roundheads or some somebody. Some I want him to go out not with the All-Stars, just for a tour. Because he's got, if he's only have, he only has five Beatles songs he can really play. Because what else would he, he can do? Uh, I want to be your man and boys in the same show. They're basically like pretty similar. Yeah. So he's only really got like five or six or seven Beatles songs that he can routinely do. And to fill like a 20 song cellist, he'd have to do, he'd have to dig deeper into his solo catalog. Well, he, I, but that's why I love the all-stars is he makes it, he makes it like a music festival where you get to hear Beatles songs. The vibe of the all-stars show is not the same vibe as like a Paul McCartney show. Like a Paul McCartney show is like, you will worship this man and you will worship his eyes and you will worship his oh, hair he, and his he's jacket. He's a Beatles cover band, basically. What is it? He's a Beatles cover band, basically. Who? Paul. Oh. Um, I mean. Songs. He even does John songs now. Yeah, but it's sick. <laughs> oh yeah, it's amazing. I saw him in 2015. That's awesome. It's just, yeah, he's it's an amazing show. He really is a showman. He gets the fireworks up on Live and Let Die. Everybody has like a mini heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he's Paul McCartney. You know, he's he's written some of the greatest of all time. Um, yeah. But I think that the vibe of his show is more of a celebration of an artist, and the vibe of a Ringo show is a celebration of music. Yeah, it's a celebration of peace and love. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what he'd like you to think. But I feel like it's actually just a celebration of rock and roll. And I don't say well, he doesn't like, like peace and Rick love. Gilmore. He doesn't script his concerts. His concerts aren't really scripted. Paul McCartney, all his concerts are like, well, this is this, and this is that, and stuff. He always has like a scripted dialogue. Ringo's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I mean, you'd have to have a scripted dialogue if you do it like Paul. He's like a, he's like a machine. Like what, you know, he doesn't have that many different stories about these songs. So it's like either he could- in yesterday's stories, which are pretty much known to the world by now. Yeah. But what else would he say? I think- You know, like this song's called Yesterday. <laughs> started digging deep into his catalog and actually doing like stuff from like the 80s or something 
but he does. He was starting to do like, I don't know, like demos or something. Like, I'd like him to pull out a demo or something and just do it live. Well, I've seen him do like stuff like Calico Skies and. Calico Skies is amazing. I love Flaming Pie. That's yeah, amazing. that's like, I've seen him do some weird stuff at the handful of times I've seen him. And he does, um, I think he does weirder stuff at the sound checks. Oh, the sound checks. I've got so many sound check audio bootlegs. Yeah. He's doing, um, I've seen wacky like songs about India and he's doing like little date. He's doing like interesting reggae. He does Seamoon every soundtrack. He should just put, do Seamoon every, every concert. Yeah, he does some weird stuff. Um, he plays like uh, Matchbox and all these Carl Perkins covers. Yeah, but I've seen one sound check uh, when he, when Paul played, what's the name of the festival? Bonnaroo. Um, he headlined Bonnaroo like forever ago. I don't know when, maybe like bordering on 10 years ago, some kind of era like that. May have been 09, the uh, good evening New York City era. That was his like big summer tour. It maybe. Was it was a summer thing. But um, now he does his little yeah. 10 date tours, his little on the runs. I'm pretty sure it was around when New came out, but it wasn't. Oh, no, he didn't, I love that album. That must. Be but cool. he didn't play any of the stuff from it. It was just in that era. All right. But um, but he headlined Bonnaroo, and the night before, we were like going to see, like some other band playing, and we accidentally like stumbled on Paul McCartney's soundcheck, and so we just stood. We were like a field away from him. But there was like a crowd of like 50 people just silently standing there watching Paul McCartney's soundcheck from the other side of a field. And we saw him do some like really weird stuff. Like he, that's when he did Calico Skies and he didn't play that at the actual show. He did Calico Skies in concert for a decent decade. That's sweet. That's such a great song. Yeah, anything from playing Pie. I mean, if he did Souvenir Live, I'd love that. Flaming Pie's a a post Beatles masterpiece. <laughs> but there's also a lot of old man moments on it. Oh, if you want the old man moments, let's say you gotta go to McCartney Free, maybe Egypt Station. I don't I don't really like those albums, those modern records. But oh something my God. like almost full from ten years ago was in my top five. I think Egypt Station is pretty awesome. I like the packaging because it's like a little accordion. I love that. Yeah, I think I think he did good on it, and I think there's some good stuff. There's some good moments on McCartney Free. His promotion, like I'm gonna go buy the McCartney Free Imagine Dice sets, even though I do not like that album. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I little Paul McCartney dice because I know they'll be worth a hundred dollars soon. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I think he did good. <laughs> Like, what new music is better? And I'm not even saying he's the best. I'm just asking, what would you rather hear? I, I understand I'd like to hear 20 Beatles songs, because every this is the Beatles. Well, that's true. Maybe if you went just back to a couple clubs, like, did the bottom line or something. <laughs> Played, like... Just like a little bit of, little something more interesting, like maybe like McCartney songs, like from the McCartney album, or maybe like even just going to like Wings Wildlife, just going to some interesting stuff. 
Well, he does the, he does maybe I'm amazed. Wait, that's maybe I'm amazed. Yeah, but that's McCartney. That's not like, he's not doing junk every concert or every night. Yeah, but people would just talk over it. Well, that's why they go to they go to the bathroom during my, my Valentine every concert. I, I'm I'm even guilty of it. I, I love my Valentine. I, don't have I think my Valentine is a really nice one. little kid, but my mom was like, I remember my mom saying, "Oh, this is the one to his new wife. Oh, let's go to the bathroom." Yeah, but that's sweet. Yeah, that's I think it's Lily sweet. Chokes, uh, him up is the one where he did "My Love" in uh, 2009 on Linda's uh, passing anniversary. Cries mm -hmm. on that. That's like that's a that's a sad recording. He does here today every concert too, and cries on that. Some of the cries are a little fake though. Yeah, but I mean, like, why that's is it showman? But um, I don't know. Like, I get it. You know, like you you would always miss your your first wife, but. I think my Valentine is sweet because it's him writing to the person that he found to share his love with. At least he after doing Hever every concert, that track from Driving Rain. What is it? He did a song called Hever on Driving Rain for his second wife, the one who he divorced. Yeah, Heather Mills. Uh, that's not a good track in my opinion. Well, yeah, but they got divorced. <laughs> yeah, memory almost full and chaos and creation in the backyard are basically divorce albums. Yeah, what a bummer. But you know, it's like hard. I think um, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence in the cosmos that uh, John and Paul both had death redefine their young adult, like their adulthood. Yeah, because um, both John and Paul's lovers died at a very young age. Oh, yeah. Well, that's their young adulthood or their young life. But I was referencing to uh, once they left the Beatles and they were coming into their own adulthood and they thought they'd figured life out and they both started to think that they figured out who they were as adults, death changed both of them. And it changed John Lennon by literally killing him suddenly, unexpectedly, right outside his fucking house where he yeah, lived like, with the he kid. He was coming back too. He was making some of the best material of his career. Yeah, it's so many great. I mean, but also he was a person, a life on the planet that advocated for peace and not for Pain. violence. So to be yeah. murdered outside your own home in the city that you love by some creep asshole is a, a gut wrenching heartbreak. I mean, he had a child to raise. Yeah, it, so I think that that death um, shook that part of the world. And then I think for Paul, being the ultimate romantic that he is, um, you know, he's the, he's the lover boy. He's the one with the big eyes. He's the one that's singing the love songs. He's the one oogling the girls since the 60s. And for him to have this great love story um, and his love story ends with death, just like John's did, but his love story is the loss of a partner rather than the loss of oneself. Like, it was so John Lennon of him to die, and it was so Paul McCartney for his spouse to die. And I'm not saying that it's, I'm glad that either happened, but I think that it's interesting that both of them faced tragedy, but John Lennon's tragedy was a personal tragedy, and Paul McCartney's tragedy was the loss of 
um, the person that he decided was going to be his person. And they had a farm together and they had a band together and they made records together and they and she shared their whole life. And even in the 90s, when Wings had been 10 years past, she was still up there playing plink and plunking on the keyboards. Yeah, well, they, they were just collaborators. They were artistic collaborators and they respected each other and they loved each other. But then to lose that half of yourself I can't imagine the pain. As someone that's married, that um, is an artistic collaborator with my wife and she's in my bands and she does paintings that are like album artwork for me and she's helped me with all my stuff and I help her with her stuff. To understand that like sharing of your, your heart and your art life with somebody and to feel like you figured your life out and then to have that person taken from you seemingly a lifetime before it, it feels right. Like I can't imagine the pain so I just think it kind of sucks that society isn't going to let Paul McCartney try to find love anywhere else. And instead, we're just going to remind him that his wife shouldn't have died. Well, and I, I feel like everybody just kind of steps on his chance at love. Um, and when he writes a song like My Valentine, that I think if My Valentine was a different production and if it was on Rubber Soul as a song, I like if those do not fit all my Valentine, which is like a seven year old man with the crooner vibe and rubber soul, which is like all pot and like drums. Have you ever heard the song Michelle? Oh, of course. That's a wonderful ballad. How does that sound any different that than my a lot like my Valentine? It they're like the same song, dude. Similarly, yeah, they're pretty similar, except that uh, I'll cover both in the exact same style and you won't even notice the difference. My point is people give Paul McCartney a lot of flack for uh, for trying to find, it's like Ringo got a divorce and got remarried and then he found his love, right? Yeah. So why doesn't anybody give Ringo shit for loving Ringo his girl? married for 40 years. He was married for <laughs> seven. Yeah, married so, uh, Barbara for 40 years. Yeah, that's amazing. But I just think everybody deserves that chance, you know? I don't know. I just think Paul gets a bad rap. <laughs> Paul, gets a, Paul gets a bad rap, I think. Yeah, he does get a bad rap. Because he's, he's a billionaire, and it's easy to pick on a billionaire. Yeah, he is the, most, <laughs> he's the richest man in music because he has all he's that the published. Yeah, he's like the richest dude of all time. <laughs> yeah. Well, the biggest thing we got robbed of is uh, George actually not getting knife massacred and coming back and making brainwash with Danny Harrison and continuing to... Uh, and touring and finally getting back up and touring the world. Oh, you mean the, the fact that he didn't die from that? Yeah, well, he died from, uh, well, he died from complications from that, really. When he get knife. Oh, he did? Knife massacre, that kind of reopened the cancer. But if oh, really? If that deranged weirdo hadn't came in and tried to stab him 20 times, I think he could have continued making amazing albums because his albums he never really went downhill he was yeah made, he's made the best Beatles solo albums like even brainwashed and like cloud nine are amazing yeah he does a lot of great stuff i think um 
a cool thing about George's solo stuff is he plays with such big players all the time. It's like, I think that uh, George likes surrounding himself with people that he thought were the best in his field. But I think Paul and John had egos that were too big for that. And they always wanted to be the most famous person in the room. So that's why everybody on every Paul McCartney album is like some unheard of name that nobody ever cares to learn. And everybody on most of the later John Lennon albums is like, John, Yoko. And then a bunch of people that you've never heard of, just studio musicians, nobodies, don't worry about them. They just played the bass, who cares? But then you look at like the personnel on a George Harrison album and it's like Elton John, Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, Billy Preston. And you're like, oh my God. It's like a red carpet event. <laughs> yeah, you look at like someone like Cod Lenny, the, the basic band is Gary Wright, Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr, and Jeff Wynn. That is that is amazing. That's just that's amazing. ignorant. Yeah, that that's the coolest. But it's um, John. Yeah, unreal. But then um, I think another far out thing about George is that he was just so down with um the cycling of life and all that, like all the reincarnation vibes that it's hard to even imagine that he stopped when he died. Like, I feel like there's like a, you know, a hundred percent chance that he was just born into some fucking fern somewhere. And he's, he's just reincarnated onto his next thing. I think if it happened to anybody, it happened to George. He may have never even put out brainwashed when he got it finished. He may have just, cause it took 15 years for that to come out. He may have just kept on working on it and kept like going, going, going. We may even not have it now if he'd stay alive. Who even knows? Yeah. The unknown, man. The unknown. We may have even gotten the last Beatles track. We may have gotten Now and Then. What is that? <laughs> now and Then is like a bootleg, which is John Lennon singing on the piano. And it was rumored to, be ha to have been included in the anthology. But George didn't like it because it was too sad. Hmm. I've never a, heard it. It's a very deep track, and there's a lot of theories that we that people think uh, John is singing to Paul in that song. Hmm. Cool. When was it recorded? Like late '97, so like around that Freeze the Bird era. What year? It's 1977. Oh, so like way after the Beatles. Well, yeah. Well, Freeze the Bird and Real Love were '77 and '80. Yeah, but that's why they're like. Beatles tracks. I consider them Beatles tracks because I grew up with all those anthology CDs and that DVD set. Like, that's Beatles to me. Yeah. No, absolutely. But I mean, that's, you know, it's like it's outside of the Beatles discography years. Like, it's not like it was like material recorded in 1969 and then they revived it. It's material that was recorded nine years after they broke up with you legal documentation long on the anthology which is like 60s stuff which they never put out because it was a little bad what was it they've got all you've got all the material on the anthology which is the new Beatles stuff which is just like stuff from the 60s that they never put out yeah well that's just i mean it's all mostly it's mostly just like tracks you've heard but kind of freaky right yeah but then you've also got stuff like uh, if you've got troubles or uh 12 bar original which are 
they're not fun, but it's interesting to have extra Beatles songs. Oh yeah, I mean, I wish there was like, like a million anthologies. <laughs> yeah, but I think like "Free as a Bird" and "Real Love" are like beautiful songs. Like I played "Real Love," not. I played it, but I had it on a playlist of songs that played like on my wedding day while people were eating. So, and that was, a, I actually made a Beatles playlist before and after the ceremony. So before the ceremony where people were like drinking coffee and stuff, I'd made a Beatles playlist that was Beatles solo and um, Beatles proper that had only like really acoustic-y love songs. And then when everybody was eating after the ceremony was done, I had like Beatles love rockers. So um, yeah, real love made it on the cut. I acknowledge it. (laughs) Love thing, they've got the love show and they've got like the, they got the all you need is love shirts. It's like, I feel like it's a little too much love. Well, you know what's funny is um, I learned when I was making these playlists, they don't have that many songs about love at all. Well, like, I bet you, just scroll I bet you can't give me 10 Beatles album. songs about love. Then you get to like the uh, later albums and it's like stuff about, I don't know, cakes and stuff. <laughs> I had that on there. Um, it's all too much. All too, all too much or... All too much. Yeah, he says that's birthday great, cake that's in the song. Show. Is that only a Norman song? Those are deep cuts. Dude, I don't know. It's like my favorite. The whole Yellow Submarine album, it's like forgotten because it's not like, but it's some of the most interesting Beatles stuff on there. That's like Sgt. Pepper leftovers. Yeah. Well, that's like, it's just kind of like a little pile of leftovers is how I see Yellow Submarine because the side B of the record is just George Martin anyway. Yeah, well, that's how they did it in Capital and States. They had the, the first side was the Beatles stuff, and the second side was the uh, instrumentals. Yeah, so that's not like a proper Beatles album, but it's a member of Beatles history in my mind. I see Proper's well, Beatles like, album as like... Back collections, they, it exists. Yeah. But, like, Yellow Submarine came out in, like, the middle of 1968, and the remaster, and the album came out in, like, the middle of 1969 it took like a year for that to come out because they were doing the white album and like hey jude and all that stuff mm-hmm. i mean they're that i feel like that was the point where like george was didn't care george was just like okay well i'm giving you this great material and you guys are not putting it on your records so I mean, he's just building up this discography that was written in like 1966 what is it like stuff like isn't it a pity and uh art of dying that's like 1966 yeah and they told him that they didn't want to use it and then you know what they used like mean mr mustard and maxwell silver hammer maxwell silver hammer is great though maxwell silver hammer sucks (laughs) (laughs) it sucks so bad that john lennon refused to be on the track he was also in a car accident and doing copious amounts of heroin. Yeah, but I would too if I had a bandmate who was writing Maxwell Silver Hammer. Abbey Road. Dude, Abbey Road, the best two songs and the most popular two songs were written by George uh, Harrison. When you got Come Together. Come Together is a masterpiece of nonsense. <laughs> that is a quote. It is. 
it's a masterpiece of nonsense. It's like the whole, all the verses are absolute drivel to the point where John Lennon barely remembers the lyrics a few years later when he's playing at New York. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. And then the chorus oh, is I so smart. In my life in 74, he's like, what I feel, you know what I feel is. Like, oh, he's, he's just adding random lyrics to it. Yeah, because it's just, why would he even care? <laughs> John Lennon lived in the moment. I think uh, he was not interested in going back to the past and playing you old songs. I think he just but wanted he to play the songs. He was thinking about rehearsing uh, She Loves You for his Double Fancy tour if he ever got that off the ground. He was going to make a homecoming to Liverpool and play it. What, She Loves You? Yeah, and like I Want to Hold Your Hand, all those old tracks. He was going to come out and do it. Cause he, was, he was envisioning a, a huge comeback. And then Double Fancy didn't sell. Damn. Then he died, and then it became his last statement. Yeah. And, and have, the last one, which is like a demo of a drum machine. Oh, yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite songs. I think that's perfect in its, in its existence. Oh. And getting back to the point of the whole podcast, our boy Ringo, that song was written for Ringo. Yeah. Girl, at the then he did At the beginning, doesn't he say, he's like, this one would be good for you, Ring, or something like that. Yeah. You go to 2018, and he's doing it with Paul and uh, Jack Douglas, the producer of Double Fancy, he's helping out. And yeah. John writing it, it's basically a Beatles Dream track, and there's actually bits of Here Comes the Sun and, like, Unreleased George stuff in there. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's Beatles Dream track. I love it. I love a lot of Beatles. The King of Broken Hearts. That's John. That's that's Ringo and George. You've got little, you've got little small videotapes of them playing like ukulele songs in the '90s on a rug. Love those videos. I love ukulele George in any setting. Ukulele George is. (laughs) Ukulele George is the best. He's such a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're coming close to the end of our time here. So any like final things on the uh, Ringo is the best Beatle argument? It's not even an argument. I was just saying that he is. Well, I mean the uh, the case. He's got the. What more do I have to front, say? The front beat. That's that's what he's got. Well, no, I mean, it holds, do you see what I'm? Little. Like, it's he just a fact, it, right? Started to fall apart. Like, it's just a fact, right? Yeah, it's a fact. And they weren't, like, George Martin wasn't willing to sign them with Pete Best. And he even had Andy White play drums on Love Me Do because he wasn't confident. And, yeah. like, and then look what happened. The pocket always had that beat. He's, he's the only, he's the only Ringo for the job. Yeah. There's only one drummer for the Beatles, just like there's only one of each of them for the Beatles. But I think people forget how important the drums are until you take the drums out. Yeah. Because all modern drumming is nothing like Beatles drumming, which is why these Beatles songs still stand so strong in a sea of material that have come out since then. He had a special touch on this music and everybody takes it for granted. (laughs) 
Yeah. So. And that's why what you're doing is a service to society, sir. Yeah, I'm going out on my own. I'm in, I'm in the disco period now. Ooh. Uh, I've gone through the commercial success, the country area, the standards. Now I'm in the disco period, and once I get past the disco, it's the 80s, and then I get into that 90s, that Mark Hudson period. That's my favorite stuff. Yeah. Always so are you listening? The show, but he's a recluse. I can't get him. Are you listening in uh, succession? I'm going, I've, I've heard all of his albums, except for like, I've yeah. heard, like, I'm just getting into Ringo 2012 now. I haven't heard Give More Love, and I haven't listened to the Christmas album. I'm hoping to be up to I want to be Santa Claus by the Christmas by Christmas area though. <laughs> so I want to get and do that. Okay, so for Ringo Rama, I'm Lucas, and that's that's Joe. So uh, peace and love, peace and love, Ringo Rama, peace and love. Peace and love.